Welcome to Stories We Don't Tell, a podcast about storytelling. Stories We Don't Tell is a monthly event in Toronto that features candid stories of strength and resilience. I threw out my prayers, they went flying like balloons. The air whipped our hair, we went shooting down the valley. Knuckles gripped upon the handles, shivers rushing down my spine. What's I've been doing some research on the magic sites, he tells me, and I know that he's spelling magic with a K. And I think our best option is this ritual I found where I drink some of your menstrual blood. I bite my lip and I make some sort of non-committal noise because I don't honestly know how to respond to this suggestion. I switch my flip phone from one ear to the other, still stalling for time. We've been talking on the phone every day and I was way over my minutes this month, but it's important. It's the only way to stay in touch over the summer while I'm in New Mexico and he's in New York. His heart is in the right place. We've been dating for four months now and he wants me to have an orgasm. But here's the thing. It's not that he's never given me an orgasm. It's that I've never had one at all. I had sex for the first time at 16 with this boy who said he loved me, although of course that's not why I slept with him. And then shortly afterwards, I went on to brag, brag to some of my summer coworkers about giving a blowjob that lasted for 45 minutes, which, as it turned out, was not something to brag about. <laughs> and then my next high school boyfriend was also a virgin, followed by two drawn-out drunken affairs with third-tier college athletes. But I didn't know enough about my body to ask for anything in particular, and they always seemed to be having a pretty good time, so I stuck with it. I'd seen every episode of Sex in the City, and I figured I knew what carnal pleasure was supposed to look like, but my, never, my body never seemed to respond in the way that either of us expected it to respond during sex. And I like to think that I'm pretty smart. This summer, NASA's paying me $500 a week to mess around with statistical models at Los Alamos National Laboratory under the supervision of a Canadian physicist named Chris, who looks kind of like a handsomer Brendan Fraser. <laughs> and my boyfriend's pretty smart too. He reads a lot of beat writing and the state of New York is paying him to sit in a toll booth all day charging entrance to a big park, so he has a lot of time to think about the orgasm problem. And the whole situation has actually become pretty embarrassing. I keep presenting myself to these men as experienced and then expecting them to have the experience to know what to do with my body. And then the further along things get, the harder it is to explain why I don't seem to be having a good time. And I've been determined not to fake it, but I'm starting to wonder if something's just wrong with me. Even before my boyfriend and I got together, it had become pretty clear that I couldn't keep counting on drunk former high school athletes to unlock the secrets that Cosmopolitan magazine promised me my body was keeping. <laughs> so this summer, I decided to take matters into my own hands the way that I always take matters into my own hands. Not by using my own hands, of course. <laughs> but by getting as many relevant nonfiction books out of the library as possible. <laughs> the Los Alamos Public Library was actually pretty small, so I was lucky to get a copy of one of Dr. Laura Berman's books. She's a doctor with some kind of sex clinic for women, and she regularly appears on Oprah. <laughs> the book was very technical. 
It provided the right names for all of the components of a woman's vulva. Did you know that most people are using the word vagina wrong? And it described some of the typical tests that they ran for clinic patients. Of course, just plain not knowing how our bodies work is one of the biggest issues that women face. Dr. Berman was an advocate of lighting some candles, pouring yourself a glass of wine, and then getting to know yourself with a hand mirror. There was only one problem with this approach, which was my roommate. All of the NASA students were living in the same residential block, paired up in a row of studio apartments that each contained a love seat, a kitchenette, and two twin beds. Our apartment was laid out so that our beds sat parallel about five feet apart, and my roommate slept in the newt. Uh, every night after I turned out the lights, she would creep into the walk-in closet and then undress completely and then dash in the cover of darkness into her bed. Uh, I think that she assumed that I was asleep and wouldn't notice her nakedness, but somehow I didn't think that her comfort with nudity would extend to me taking a flashlight and a hand mirror <laughs> under the covers with me while I tried to sort out the difference between my, between my clitoral hood and my urethra. So Dr. Berman similarly recommended buying yourself a vibrator and one of the first things that she would do with clinic visitors was give them a quick tour of the vulva and then leave them alone with a sanitized vibrator to just see how things went. I was sure that I could buy one online because in 2006 you could already buy anything online, but the roommate obstacle remained. And I had been explaining all of this to my boyfriend when he brought up the whole menstrual blood thing. <laughs> And I know I should be grateful that my boyfriend is comfortable enough with my anatomy to even make an offer like this. I've heard plenty of talk about men who won't go down on their female partners because of the smell or the taste or the overall indecency of the entire thing. And for that matter, I know plenty of women who don't want their male partners to go down on them lest they find out how disgusting things really are down there. So he's coming to visit me at my parents' house at the end of the summer, and I suggest a compromise, which is that before we resort to literal blood ritual, <laughs> I want to visit my family doctor to figure out what's wrong, to ask her why my body isn't working the way that I'm sure it's supposed to. And he agrees. We're both pretty confident that this problem is caused by something that's wrong with me. And when I get in to see my doctor, she listens, and she chooses her words very carefully. She doesn't think that anything's wrong. She's been my doctor since I was a kid, so she's dealt with all of my weird chronic medical conditions. The fact that I produce too much phlegm, and the chronic neck pain, and that time that I just turned red in middle school. <laughs> uh, each of those times, she dutifully sent me off to the lab to like with a lab requisition or a form for a specialist referral to make sure that something more sinister wasn't causing these weird symptoms. But not this time. This time, she tells me that there's a lot more to it than physiology. There's comfort, and there's trust, and there's tuning out all the noise. There are unrealistic expectations, and there's letting yourself off the hook. There's time. But I leave this encounter the same way that I've left every encounter that brought me here, unsatisfied. <laughs> and a few months later, I leave my boyfriend too, before he has the chance to drink my menstrual blood, <laughs> before I successfully channeled Samantha Jones, and before I have the chance to understand what my doctor was really trying to tell me. Thank you. <laughs>
if you're going to believe that the earth is flat, then you just it, believe you can just believe whatever you want. But that's not it. It's like the article, the, the setup is the article, is like, you might think that this person is ignorant and doesn't know anything, but here is how he is consistent with like contemporary liberal views on all of these topics, and also he believes that the earth is flat. Oh, and here's what I learned. It's not, okay, they don't believe in gravity, but what they do believe is that the disk is just moving up so much that we're being pressed down on it. That's how we stay upright. Oh, well, that makes a lot more sense. With no other knowledge at all, they both, like intuitively seem equally plausible that the thing that's making you stick on it. So is that how they prove that gravity doesn't exist? Yeah, so I think that that's the second half of that experiment. It's like you lift up a plate really fast and something will stay on it. Or you can do it down too. Push a disc down on something and that thing will stay at the disc. Well, yeah. Ugh. But that's then gravity. Th so then that explains or the not people gravity. underneath? No. No. The, like the They're, they Australians? Don't, yeah. No, no. The, there's, it's, oh, a, all, it's a disc. It's all on top. We're all on top. I see. And it's moving really fast in one direction, which is how we all stay on the top of the disc. You know, the more I think about this, the more it's starting to make a little bit of sense to me. Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. Uh, you can't read too much about it or you can become a flat earther. Is, are we going to keep all of that in? At, at your judgment. Probably not all of it. Maybe a little. Like a teaser for people who want to know more about the flat earth movement. My name's Paul. I'm Brianne. See, we introduced ourselves. Yeah, today on the Stories We Don't Tell podcast, we're talking about taboo topics like flat earth theory. It's not something you want to bring up in polite company. Is it, uh, is it really a taboo subject, though? Well, would you want to tell people if you were dating a flat earther, or would you keep that to yourself? If I was dating a flat earther, uh, you, you mean if I brought like her to a dinner party, I wouldn't, if somebody started talking about going on a trip, or flying somewhere and then i could see in her eyes yeah, that like, she was Ugh. gonna this um, isn't an acceptable time i don't think that relationship would last very long okay well in addition to that there are other taboo topics that okay. might make us uncomfortable and some of them we talk about at our storytelling event we do so we just heard a story yes from from you from me yes we just heard a story from me that i told recently about how, as a youth, I had not had an orgasm, but I was dating someone who wanted to drink my menstrual blood. I mean, wanted might not be the right verb. Yes. But, like, requested. Suggested, made a, was trying to help you, mm -hmm. in a way. Yeah, in a supportive way. So what was it about this that made it uh, taboo for you? So I, I haven't really told any stories that are just about, like, sex i mean okay that's not totally true i told that story about how i made that guy decide if he was going to be my best friend or a stranger afterwards right but you kind of skip over yeah i kind of gloss the... i kind of always do i gloss over and i do in the story we just heard too yeah although somebody suggesting that they want to drink your menstrual blood is i wouldn't call that skipping over sure well <laughs> a okay. taboo if, uh, if you comment. come to our event then you know that i've been making an I've been accidentally making an effort to just talk about my period more. So this mm. is like two stories in a row, I think, where I've said the word vagina, which is also new, kind of. And like for some people, that's really easy and comfortable. And there are entire storytelling events that are just like about sex, fun sex stories or funny sex stories or whatever. Right. But like, I don't know, for me, mental health and all this stuff with my family. I'm like, yeah, I'm ready to lay this out there. But anything... Any story in which I might have been naked when the story happened, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to tell people this. Well, 
Oh, so there was something there that uh, that uh, I don't want to say you glossed over it in 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 speaking, but um, okay, this is just a dumb, ignorant question, hmm. and it might be opening a whole can of worms. But what is it about uh, the word vagina, or just a a woman talking about their period that makes it like there is. I've seen visceral like reactions from people. Mm -hmm. What is it? Mm -hmm. Like men and women. Yeah. Well, I think like, and I kind of touch on this in this story um, and also in the last one, but like partly we just don't learn to be comfortable with the language for it, for women's bodies in general. Oh my God. On a sort of related note, I was recently given a summary of the book Vagina by Naomi Wolf, which I have not read. Mm. And one of the summary points, which may or may not be accurate because of how this is like third hand recounting now, was that Naomi Wolf goes to a doctor because she's having this nerve problem with her spine. Maybe. Somebody's probably read this book and could account this better. But anyway, she, she, as a result of this, learns all this stuff about how nerve endings connect to different parts of the female anatomy and that it's actually like really a different from person to person and distinct from how men are neurologically connected to their genitalia mm -hmm. that like with men it's like one nerve path that's the same for everyone and with women it's like you have a bunch of different nerve endings i don't know we'll say five that's probably false but like where they all are it's different every time and that there's actually not a word for just that holistic system hmm. like we don't even have we don't even have the language for talking about this stuff. Yeah. And so it's it's really uncomfortable and it's really uncomfortable because I don't think that you can make an assumption that y your definition mm -hmm. is the same as somebody else's definition. Not not for period, but actually for vagina because generally speaking in the culture it's used as an all-encompassing term and in fact mm -hmm. anatomically it's not. Mm -hmm. Um and so a lot of people use it when they mean vulva or whatever else vulva is the all-encompassing term right and it's like okay so if you're talking about this it's a uncomfortable but b like we you can't make assumptions about common language because of that and so i think that's one of the reasons that it's tough it's like no i'm uncomfortable and someone might ask me to clarify and that will be more uncomfortable right and and there there also seems to be a um uh like the way that it's always been talked about i remember way back I won't say where I was working, but there would be, it was a very, there was a lot of, a lot of real dudes, a lot of guys around. And if a, if a woman who was working with us wasn't even, yeah, it wasn't even a thing. It, like she, she just like say, asked us to do something <laughs> and then leave the room. There would be a chorus of like, oh, it must be, you know, that, that kind of the month and all this stuff. And is it just like, do you think it's the way? It's just generally... I think it's just perpetuated. It's yeah. perpetuated by, like, lazy sitcom writers. Right. And then people watch those sitcoms when they're young and are like, well, that must be what it means. Well, and it's all... It's, it's uh, you know, I'm all into comedy and stuff like that. So it's that huge double standard where you see guys forever have talked about their penises and talked about masturbating and yeah. all this and it's so funny it's like 60 percent of all stand-up comedy is just <laughs> men talking about masturbating i know and it's uh and then you'll get a uh, a comedian that is like a female comedian and she starts talking about these things and it's like she's really raunchy she's like really one and you're like she's talking about the same things yeah or like 
why is she trying to throw her womanhood in our faces? Why can't she just be a regular comedian? It's like you, they get like typecast as like, well, she's a woman comedian. She talks mm-hmm. about her period. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well. Well, it's so, how did for you then, like how did it feel for you? Did you, did you have like a, a thing happening to you just like when you were saying this stuff or talking about it? Like what were you feeling like? Was it weird, like getting back to the taboo side of just saying these things in front of a group of people? By the time we got to the event, I was feeling pretty okay. But um, as you may or may not recall, uh, in the lead up to it, I brought an earlier draft of this one to our essay group, which is separate from the workshops. And um, somebody had canceled. And so I thought that it might just be me and you and Stefan. And I was like... I feel very deeply uncomfortable about the weird meeting that we're going to have. Like I was very viscerally and obviously I think uncomfortable. Um, and then I worked it, workshopped it and then I brought it to brunch and I was like, I feel a little bit better. And mm-hmm. then it's also weird. Cause like this person that I'm in a relationship with, with is in the room and I was like, please don't make any, cause he was like, I'm going to make some great jokes about this. And I was like, please <laughs> don't. And then I think he still did because I think that when because he was like right after me, the joke that he told me that he was going to make was like, I actually have thrown away my original story and written a companion piece for this. Yeah. And I was like, please don't even start that. And then I think that he didn't. And I think instead Stefan made a joke relating to the fact that we were involved. And I was like, this is too much. So then by the time we got to the event, I was like, OK, I feel pretty good, except I'm going to continue this narrative. So at the event, actually, there's this random guy who... Um, is like good friends with one of my cousins mm-hmm. and who lives in Toronto. And I only know this because I found myself seated next to him at a wedding mm-hmm. in the fall. Mm-hmm. And he's like, very nice guy, whatever. And he hadn't ever come to the event until this Saturday mm-hmm. of the, the night that I told this story. And so I knew that he was in the room and I was like, oh, I don't want to make eye contact with you because you just know people in my family. Yeah. Like the, the removals is vast. Like you're not going to go and tell my parents that I once was a person with a sexual partner, <laughs> right. but it doesn't even matter. Like that connection somehow was like the only thing that I was aware of. And it's weird. Cause you, I remember uh, somebody who's been on the show uh, before and has, we featured a few of her stories, Monica Holmberg, who she talked to me about the first story she did at our event was a sex story and it just so happened randomly somebody she mm. just the place where she was started working somebody just through not through her through some other channel uh showed up at the event and she was like okay well you're going to know a lot more about me after this is all over yeah this is just what's happening now mm-hmm. so i mean what about you because we're about we're gonna hear a story from you yeah. after this and it's mine was like i was 19 i think in the story that i tell and yours is like you're an adult having an experience right. i don't know how that informs it but it's true how do you feel that might inform it i don't know i was worried because um we were we were sort of talking before off mic about what it is and i don't know i i think when i was growing up you just didn't talk about your we barely talked about relationships you know with my parents or family and stuff like that and I don't know if it's the same thing where I'm almost sometimes been envious seeing people talk about their sex lives so openly. And I tried to do that with this, or I just said, who cares or any, I was really nervous about it. But then I, I 
I was nervous, I guess, about people judging me for some reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt that so strongly. It's like, what are people in this room going to think if they know that at 19 I'd never had an orgasm? Like, they're going to know that 19-year-old me was bad at sex? Uh-huh. I don't know. I don't have, like, a specific voice, but just, it's weird and specific. Yeah, it, and I, I was just worried because... You know, everybody has different experiences and different levels of experiences. And I, uh, there's also the, in this story that you're going to hear, there is a, uh, an STI. Is that what they're calling it now? Is that the the latest, the latest one? There's like a scare. See, I'm even like putting it in that respects right now. I'm saying it's a, it was a scare, which is implying that it, I didn't. Don't worry, guys. Don't worry. It's all okay. But Which I, is, yeah, like contributing to stigma. Yeah. Yeah. But also you're kind of living, you're trying to get through that stigma. But at the same time, you are, I was trying not to re sort of assert it. And, and, you know, there's a point um, where I didn't sort of, I revealed that I didn't have it, but I kind of also wanted to live in that space a little bit of just what it would feel like of people thinking, you know, they didn't think anything. That's the thing. Right. No, just <laughs> you. Not, yeah. Just that space of yeah. you feeling uncertain about your presence there or whatever. Right. And then, of course, you always, like, you, you usually do is you have people coming up to you after and being like, oh, yeah. And then they tell you a story that's way crazier than yours. Yeah. Or they're just, like, not phased. Yeah. I think it's funny because we talked about, I mean, you described your feeling uh, off mic as you were like, I felt a little squirrely telling that story, which I love as a yeah. as an adverb. Um and it's interesting, just between the two of us, like the topics that we've covered in terms of like mental health and loss and whatever else that, I don't know, I mean, when we first started, I was nervous in general in, mm. in front of the room, but it, I don't know why. Then it was like, oh, I feel uncomfortable because I'm vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like I'm worried about how the audience, like what the audience will think of me after yeah. this specific reveal. And for some reason, which I like, don't think is a good thing but for some reason like stories that relate to sex i'm just like oh i'm worried about how they'll judge me on it in addition to the vulnerability feelings which is like a, a just a different kind of version of what you just said i think but it's it's a weird line it i don't is. know some people might not have it <laughs> yeah i don't know but i don't i wonder if it's like a i guess it's like a skill that you can work on maybe mm-hmm. i don't know so basically what we're saying is that you can just, just expect to hear more sex stories. Yeah. As we run out of mental health things to discuss, or as we become mentally healthier, wow. we'll just have to dive back through all of our intimate encounters over the years. Yeah. And, uh, but again, uh, what I, why I think this is, we actually, the two of us, I think happen to, uh, either, both pick a story of ours that deals with the taboo of sex. But what's sort of interesting to me always about this is that everybody is different. Mm-hmm. Is that, there are some people that would have no problem talking about their sex lives, but then... Or that there might be actual sex in their sex stories. Yeah, in, in detail. And uh, um, and then other people, you know, might have more difficult... And, but they might have more difficulty talking about things that were, you know, have no problem. You want to talk about how, you know, depressed or, 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 or sad I can get? I'm, that's no problem. Yeah, I can do that all there. the time. Maybe, yeah, maybe we just happen to, as people, have already, like, flexed that muscle a lot. Yeah. Okay, so this so, is our area for growth. 
Yeah. So should we listen to my my sex story now? Yeah. And now an intimate story from Paul Dorn. So I was in a bar appropriately named Disgraceland. <laughs> no. Uh, a bar Disgraceland, which it sounds like some of you know, <laughs> with my friend the devil. We sat on stools drinking pints and talking about women and relationships. Sometimes you've got to get a little dirt on you, he said. I call him the devil because I've known him for years and nothing good has ever come from these nights of excessive amounts of beer. The bar was, full, was getting full and a red-headed woman, woman sat on the vacant stool next to me. We started talking and she kept calling me cute and laughing at all my jokes. I've never been picked up in a bar, so this was all something new to me. The devil, of course, knew exactly what was happening and acted like he was really interested in Ghostbusters 2, which was playing on the screen above the bar. Her name was Jessica, but that's uh, almost about all I could remember from our conversation. I'm pretty sure we talked about work, and I'm pretty sure she worked in a youth shelter. We eventually left Disgraceland disgracefully late and walked down the street to her place. The devil is an adventurous guy. He's told me in much more detail than necessary about many of his sexual exploits. Whenever I've hung out with him and his girlfriend, upon leaving the bar, he always asks, do you want to come home with us and have a threesome? <laughs> I wish I was more adventurous like the devil. I always wanted to be more James Bond, less Ned Flanders. <laughs> Although I'm not really religious anymore, I was raised Catholic, and they really pound that in you, this, this connection between sex and sin and, and guilt. But the devil, he can be convincing. When Jessica opened her front door, the apartment smelled like cat litter that had been sitting around for a year or two. <laughs> she led me through the kitchen to the spare room. There was stuff everywhere. All I could make out in the darkness were boxes stacked to the ceiling. She pushed some boxes off a ratty futon and motioned for me to sit down. I'm not a hoarder or anything, she said. I just have trouble throwing things away. <laughs> she instructed me to take off my clothes and she would be back. So I did. <laughs> I stripped down to my boxers and sat there on the futon. As my eyes became accustomed to the darkness, my OCD, a self-diagnosed condition based on scientifically proven tests on the internet, <laughs> kicked in and I desperately wanted to go through each and every box and organize them according to things she needed <laughs> and things she could throw away. Instead, I sat on my hands and stared into the darkness because sometimes you got to get a little dirt on you. From the other room, I could hear a hushed and heated discussion happening. <laughs> just, Jessica, <laughs> Jessica came back into the room wearing nothing but lingerie. Is someone else here? I asked. <laughs> just my girlfriend, Jessica, said, I had to ask her permission to sleep with you. Before any of this registered, she just jumped on me. 
After we finished, I was staring at all those boxes and a voice in my head started repeating this, you can't wake up here. (laughs) I told Jessica that I had to leave. It must have been four or five in the morning at this point. On my way out, she asked for my phone number and I gave her a fake one. She pulled out her phone and dialed the number and called it right away. Nice try, she said. (laughs) After giving her my real number, she called it. I immediately typed in Jessica Disgraceland as the contact name. I caught a cab and went home. The next morning, I woke up late and jumped in the shower. Pain shot up the sides of my torso, and I found a bunch of pretty deep cuts from Jessica's long nails. It wasn't until this moment when the flood of guilt came in I look at it this way, this Catholic guilt gets stored inside of you. Even though you don't believe in it, at certain times it appears out of nowhere. I was a good Catholic kid, I went to Catholic school. I remember when the whole thing fell apart for me, in grade 8, they added a class called Guidance, in addition to the usual religion classes. I remember it as a sort of subversive way to teach us how to interact in relationships, but based on teachings of the Bible, and it just didn't work for me. But a few weeks went by, and the scars, uh, the scars from the scratches healed. But I noticed a little bump, something that resembled a wart that appeared right above this area. I didn't think that this had anything to do with my time all those weeks ago with Jessica, so I ignored it. But what I started calling the wart was not going away. So let's work through this. I'm a kid, I'm taught that sex is only for, after, when, for a, after you're married. I moved away from this and thought that for me, I was much more interested in a life where I was more open sexually. Although this was more of a theory than anything put into practice. I have a string of relationships, some good, some not so good, all with various degrees of physical intimacy. Along the way, I come across someone like the devil or a writing mentor of mine who is 70 years old and has lived happily in a relationship with a couple for over 35 years. And it makes me want to rip out of my head what other people expect of me and to look deep down and try to understand what it is I want from someone else and the moment I break out of my usual patterns and try to have a bit of fun and share an intimate moment with someone I just, I just met, I cannot put aside my own judgments of her and myself to actually be present and enjoy that moment of intimacy. No, instead, of instead, a couple of weeks later, the wart will appear and represent to me my complete inability to be intimate with someone, truly intimate, if just even for that specific moment without feeling guilty or inadequate. And when the wart wasn't going away, after a few weeks, I made an appointment at the sexual health clinic down the street from me. Is this an emergency, the woman on the phone asked? I hope not. <laughs> I walked into the building for my appointment past the protesters who held signs against abortions. Inside, I filled out the appropriate forms and was asked to the doctor's office. The doctor came in and introduced the intern she was training. I told her the story and described the situation. She asked me to go behind the curtain and take my pants off. I could hear the two of them having a hushed discussion on the other side of the curtain. The doctor appeared when I was ready and aggressively started poking at the wart. It confused her more than anything else. 
Let me try something, she said, and came back with a needle. <laughs> she transformed into slow motion as she, she moved the needle towards the area. Even though she was a professional, I, was, I still couldn't look. She repeatedly stabbed the wart <laughs> with the hope that the pu uh, pus would come out. When it did, she said, yeah, it's nothing. Put some polysporin on it, and if it's still there in two weeks, come back. So I did, and it worked. It was just a little bump on my skin, and nothing more. <laughs> so the next time I feel guilty about simply trying to share an intimate moment with someone, I'm just going to put some polysporin on that guilt and wait two weeks for it to go away. <laughs> Thank you. You can find us online at thereapers.org because we're in the life collecting business. You can like us at facebook.com slash stories we don't tell podcast. If you want to help us out, you can rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks to Rayana for the theme music to this podcast. You can find out more about her in the show notes or at rayana.ca. One of the like renaissances of flat earth belief is Canadian specific. <laughs>